0: Well, hey, good morning, Awakening. We're glad that uh, you're able to join us. This has been a unique day for us as a church, and uh, we've had an outdoor service, what we call our on-site 9 o'clock, and now we're in here 10 o'clock online. So uh, the only thing that happened was I forgot to put my microphone on, so that's why you had a black screen for a while. Hey, thanks a lot, and thanks, Joe, for leading us in worship. We are going to continue a series today that we've been in, and uh, we're going to talk about that in a second. But uh, will you pray with me? Lord, I know that uh, so many people have been finding themselves in these days of COVID stressed because our lives have changed. And Lord, we have changed as a church as well. Lord, we thank you that we were able to gather in our back lot this morning at 9. Lord, we're grateful that we're able to gather here online at 10. And my prayer for all of us is that we would continue to grow in the wisdom and the knowledge and the grace of you. And that we would fulfill your purposes for our lives. And Lord, as we step again into another look of an uncommon practice this morning for greater life impact, may you take the words and the message that's before us and use it to bring strength to our life, but to equip us to become more like you, Christ. And so whether in local homes in this valley or across homes that are gathered across the nation, literally, I pray for each and every household that they would be endeared to you during this time in a fresh and new way to be able to love others and to love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you indeed for joining with us. My name is Carrie. I'm the lead pastor of the Awakening Church. And if you're new, we're glad that uh, you're here. Uh, we'd love to connect with you. If you simply want to email connect at the awakening.church, we would be glad to um, connect with you. Uh, we're doing life groups, and we're going to be talking about those, as you saw the video clip. And uh, we want you to be able to find a group that's right for you. And uh, to do that, just... Connect at theawakening.church as well, and we will continue to seek to find a group of community that we're going to be talking about here today that sort of fits who you are. Uh, our outside midweek gathering is uh, going to come to a close this Wednesday, uh, but we invite you to come uh, nine, uh, for 7 to 8 o'clock, and uh, Pastor Zach is going to be able to bring a message this week as we close out, so I trust you'll be able to be a part of it. Kids, your Kids Online Church is available. Uh, Beth and Devin have posted that, and you can watch that online. And then, of course, for offerings always, you can text the number um, 77977 with the word awakening and give to the church. So this is where we stand. We are in another week of our series on Up Your Game. Um, I actually watched college football yesterday. That was pretty cool. It was nice to be able to have that, and I trust that uh, we were able to... Uh, Uh, I don't know, have some normalcy, normalness in life. And I enjoyed being able to just watch a football game. Notre Dame was on and Clemson was on. And even though there really weren't fans in the stands much, we were able to envision this whole idea of running through a tunnel onto the field and playing a game. And our desire is for us to up the game in our personal life, in our spiritual life, in our life and being able to reach others for Christ. And so we are looking at uncommon practices For greater life impact. And I got a question to lead off this week. Here it is How did Jesus make disciples? How did he make disciples? Did he uh, sort of post something online for anybody interested in a job? Did he uh, take applications through an app, maybe on a phone? Did he uh, send somebody out to recruit people? What did he do to really make disciples? Did he send them an online course that they could go through? Did he encourage them to enroll in a certain university and take classes and gain a degree? How did Jesus make disciples when he came? What was his plan? I came across this picture this week. And uh, this picture, um, I don't know if you can see it very well online or not, but the picture depicts Jesus standing in front of his disciples Uh, in a classroom with desk, out in the middle of the fields. And Jesus did not make his disciples this way. Jesus made his disciples by gathering them to himself. It says this in Mark 3.13, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Now, I don't know if you've got this picture or not in your mind. If you read the first part of John, Jesus went out along the shoreline and he called uh, fishermen, Peter and John, and, and he gathered them to himself, and then there were others that he gathered. But this particular description in Mark, which was the first gospel we believe written It sort of summarizes that and and, and has this moment when he's up on a mountainside and he actually gets all those who he had been calling one by one to gather them and get them to come. And who did they come to? They came to him. In fact, Jesus's approach in making disciples was to call people to himself not to put them in a classroom, not to have them uh, fill out some uh, portfolio thing of if do they qualify or not, right? An application. Did Jesus um, uh, take the time to send them off to somebody else to have them trained? Or today we have teachers on Zoom call a lot, right? Like, take a Zoom call. No. He called his disciples, his would-be disciples, People that he was going to train and nurture and send out. He called them first to himself. And so if we answer the question, how did Jesus make disciples? Well, he actually told people to come to him and to be with him. He appointed 12. That they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Wow, that's a pretty big caseload to sort of throw on them right away. Very new, right? Send them out to, to uh, preach and to, to cast out demons. But what you see here with Jesus and how He's making disciples is He's making them along the path. He's saying, Come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Come follow me and I will equip you. I will show you. I will demonstrate for you. And you can watch, you can observe. But you know, before uh you know they really got very good at anything, probably, he was sending them out to preach and to heal people. Now, Jesus had this plan in his heart, in his mind, because being God Himself, he knew that the best way to reach people for his kingdom to be forward was for people to reach people. And we talked about it last week. We talked about it in uh, our practice of active witness, building bridges of trust that bear the weight of truth and that Jesus sends us out. But to send us out, he had to create something. And what he created was a community of people, and the community started out with the original 12, but then there were others. Here's what it says following that. These are the 12 he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were called sons of thunder, Andrew, Peter, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Wouldn't it have been interesting to be a part of that group of the original twelve? Now, some of them knew each other because there were some relationships, or maybe they came from the same town, or maybe they'd crossed paths. But in essence, Jesus brought together a group of twelve people who knew not one another or what he was fully about, And he formed a community. And when he formed this community, he lived his life out in front of that community and sent them out to do his ministry. His plan from the get-go was not to satellite some type of broadcast, even like you're having right now, through virtual means of Facebook or YouTube. He didn't come during that season. He came during the season in which you had to do life-on-life relationships and send people out and they weren't going on jet planes either why didn't jesus wait until today when we get all this modern technology to get his ministry off the ground well because when all's said and done it comes back to trust it comes back to relationships if i'm going to encourage somebody to have a relationship with jesus they have to have a relationship in many ways with myself to be able to uh, be encouraged to take that step of faith sometimes now I don't know about you, but I am sometimes awkward about getting in to new communities. I would have trust that I would have jumped into this community and I would have thrived in it. I would like to get together with this group of 12, minus Judas Iscariot, of course, on the other side of heaven and ask them about their time together. And don't you think that they're going to be able to share all kinds of memories? They'll share highs and lows. They'll talk about when they took this initiative into this town or when things didn't go well in this other place. They will talk about uh, some of the beautiful teachings of Christ and how it was to see Jesus unfold His kingdom on earth. Maybe they'll talk about some of the quirks of Jesus and and those kinds of things when He was uh, incarnate in the flesh here on earth. But I think they will have stories. They will have memories. They will have... um, A sense of worth and uh, joy looking back on the three years. That's all they had was three years together with Jesus. Before He died, He rose from the grave, ascended to the heavens, and then He sent them out, and they sort of started to scatter different directions. But those three years, they had something incredible. And what did they have? They had the opportunity to be made disciples by Christ Himself. And how did He do it? he did it simply by building a Christ-centered, others-oriented, authentic community. A Christ-centered, others-oriented, authentic community. I want us to look at that discipline today, that practice today, the practice, the uncommon practice of authentic community. And it's Uncommon in some different kinds of ways. Part of it's uncommon because we've been on the COVID journey and we're not able even to get together to meet. That's why it was such a joy to have our nine o'clock one site service out back today. But Jesus, he knew that he needed to take a body of people, endear themselves to one another and to himself, equip them, and send them out, and that his mission would only go through forward through humans who were impassioned through His Spirit. But there was a beginning to it. And there's a beginning to any relationship you and I have. When we came into the world, I guess, unless you were born uh, a twin or a triplet or something like that, you knew no one. When you came into this world, you got to know your mom and your dad looking into their eyes, brothers and sisters, other extended family. But you start to build relationships as you move through life. But sometimes the relationships we build are not for good and others that are for good. But as we journey on this life as relational human beings made in the image of God, we have a choice whether we withdraw from community or we step into community. And so it's almost like an uncommon practice in many regards because people will step into certain communities, whether it's a work community, a school community, even sometimes a church community, for the sake of being around others, but they've never dropped into deep, authentic community. And it's the real, authentic community that ends up being a practice in our life that forms us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Authentic community is something that's uncommon because we live in a world that likes to give off good impressions. In fact, it's interesting sometimes when we think about how we use social media. We use social media to sort of show our good side the best. Oh, look where we traveled to or look what's happening in my house or with my kids or whatever it may be. But authentic community goes below the surface, it goes behind the mask, if I can say that during this season, to see the real person, and not only to see them, but to love them. And so I'd like to describe for you some of the aspects, some of the dynamics of authentic community, and ask you if you would be willing to participate in a new group of people or fire back up some of the relationships you have and choose to live life in community and not just solo or just with your family or a couple one-off friends. The church of Jesus Christ is best seen when it's living in authentic community, when it's not hiding behind masks, when it's not putting on a false front, when it's not trying to look impressive to everybody else. Genuine, authentic community will lead you to know Christ more and will lead others to love Christ as well. So here's four dynamics of authentic Christian community. I remember hearing these phrased in this uh, a manner at a church conference uh, in uh, years prior. And I sort of like how it just sums it up. Because what are you really talking about, Carrie, when you say get a part of an authentic community? What is an authentic community that's sort of, yeah, it's like a group of people that just, you know, they go out for dinner some night or they they, uh, play a a ball game together or they just, you know, sit back and and have a night uh, playing cards or something? What is an authentic community? Well, four dynamics are going to be operating. The first is to know and to be known. To know and to be known. You need to be able to go below the surface in authentic community to know a person. And that's going to take time. It's also going to take some transparency on your own part. To know and to be known. Some people we know at a very superficial level. Some people we know maybe because they're on media. Or maybe they're a popular person. And we say we know them, but we really don't know them. Do you really know that you know that you know somebody? Maybe you know your spouse deeply and intimately, hopefully so. But maybe there's uh, not any other friendships in life that go below the surface level. Well, we need to know and to be known. Uh, One of the passages of Scripture, Jesus um, references... Uh, that's referenced about Jesus and a relationship he has is after Jesus has been raised from the dead and he reinstates Peter. Now, I don't know if you remember this, but in John chapter 21, Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Now, what's happening here with Peter? Peter's like, hey, man, I messed up. I denied you three times. And Jesus knows that. He knows that. They show up together. And Jesus is asking him, do you love me? And Peter's like, oh, my gosh, don't you know me? And those kinds of things. Peter is longing for Jesus to say that he does know him and knows him deeply and intimately. Sometimes I get frustrated because people... Um, misjudge my motives or people don't know maybe a certain kind of persuasion that I have or backgrounds uh, that brought me to a certain decision point or something like that and I get really weary but when I go to pray and I pray to Jesus I know that he knows he knows all things and here's Peter just asking for that and so in our relationship with Christ as we have a relationship with other there's a longing to be known sometimes where we don't even have to explain ourselves There's a longing to be known, but we need to choose to also know others and take that initiative and move move below the surface level. You know, one of the first life groups, uh, small groups really I was ever invited into is when I was in graduate school and uh, we'd gotten a new practical theology professor on campus and we didn't quite know how he would interact with us. But uh, his name was Terry Wardle, and he came out of uh, the Methodist church, actually, an evangelical Methodist church. And he had a vibrant faith for the Lord and and uh, was um, full of uh, us taking steps into the empowerment of the Spirit and those kinds of things. And so the buzz went around campus that, hey, the new practical theology guy, he's, he, it'd be pretty cool to get to know him more. And I remember hearing that he had gotten a, a small group going together of some guys. And I was on the outside looking in, and I thought to myself, "Ah, oh, that'd been pretty nice to be a part of that regular weekly uh, small group um, with this professor. Well, then I found out that he was going to start a second group, and I was able to get in on that group. And it was interesting when we walked in on this initial group because, you know, we got uh, six or seven guys sitting around on couches in his office, and we are there. Uh, we have some casual acquaintance, but we're going to go on a journey of meeting every week to get to know one another and to be known. And it's, it's sort of a little bit of a, um, I don't know, a, a scary kind of thing as you step into this environment. But we uh, took this uh, journey so grateful that I did. You know, one of the actually, uh, you know, the whole common common practice we talked about, scripture memorization a few weeks ago, is actually in that group. I remember we lead off the group sometimes, and uh, we were all committed to memorize Colossians 3. Which simply states, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing his sufferings, becoming like him in death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Right. Uh, I'm sorry. That's the since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed. And, you know, it's still resident there in my mind, right? The Colossians 3, because we memorized it together, uh, a spiritual discipline, and uncommon practice in that life group. But right after we would sort of say, hey, how'd you do with your scripture memorization? Uh, Dr. Wordle would uh, ask us a question. And he'd ask us the same question that John Wesley, um, who was a famous preacher in bygone days, actually helped establish the Methodist Church, Wesleyan Church, Holiness Churches. And uh, it was back during horseback riding. And so he would travel from place to place on horseback and preach. And one of the reasons that a Methodist church is called the Methodist Church was like there were new methods that he brought in. And one of the methods he brought in was this thing of meeting together in group life. And so John Wesley would sit down with some other men in, in group life and he would ask them a question. And the first question he would ask them um, is, how are things with your soul? How are things with your soul? you like that question? I don't know. That's sort of a little intimidating question. It's not like, hey, how'd your week go? I had some fun. We went out and did this together and this is what happened. Uh, no. I want to know below the surface, how are things with your soul? Oh, so you're like asking a question to get to know me behind the mask. Yeah, I want to know, how are things going? Now, you could choose to take that question in group life as to how deep I wanted to go. Did I want to like unload some really deep burdensome stuff, or did I want to stay at a surface level? And that's fine. Everybody could have that choice in that group life. But in authentic community, you're going to take the initiative to get to know people and allow them to get to know you. A verse I've always liked in this is Proverbs 27:17. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. It's interesting because that's exactly what happens in group life. That's why Jesus probably instituted it in many ways. We would be sharpened by being around him, and um, others would be sharpened one with another. And so when you're in community, you're sharpening one another, and part of that sharpening is by um, knowing and being known. So that's the first dynamic of an authentic community. What I'm talking about is a spiritual discipline, an uncommon practice that you place in your life on a regular basis, whether it's every week, every other week, in a periodic schedule, that you are practicing building relationships of depth. And that these relationships of depth will for sure have The knowledge aspect, not just about how did life go this week at work or what's happening with the kids or your hobby, but going below the surface to know and to be known. The second dynamic is this, to love and be loved. Loving another person is a choice. Sometimes, oh, we just get overwhelmed with emotions. Maybe you remember back when you uh, first saw your spouse and you started dating them and all oh, the emotions came. But love is not necessarily emotions. Love is a choice. Now, sometimes emotions come with that, and it's all great to have that there. But you're choosing an authentic community. I'm going to love this person. Now, when you get married, you stand up and you give your vows for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, and sickness and health until... Uh, Doth do his part kind of idea. I will cherish you. You are making a covenant vow of love. In authentic community, you're not doing a marriage kind of vow, but you are taking initiative to choose to love someone even if you don't like them. Have you had those people in your life? I know I do. It's like, well, I don't really like them. Not that they're necessarily a bad person, but we just don't, you know, we don't really connect or whatever. When you get a group of people around, you can you see Jesus as he's got that group of men gathered around him, the original 12. They were all sort of different from one another. I always wonder sometimes if people looked askew at Judas and go, you know, I'm not sure about that guy. But, you know, they, they were different. But they were going to choose to love one another. And when we ask you... To consider being a part of authentic community, there will be the ask to choose to love people that are not like you. Some are like you, and then you'll get along really well with them, right? But to choose to love and to be loved. And why? Because this is, comes as a direct commandment of Jesus, as we well know. In, John, 3, in 3, John 13, 34, he says, A new commandment I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He's calling them into a crucible, organic, relational experience. And he's saying this microcosm of you as disciples loving one another is going to end up being the most powerful witness in a lost world. But you're going to have to choose to do it. Otherwise, why is it a commandment? Well, don't you just love people because, well, I just sort of feel like loving them? No, love is a command here. And so love is going beyond just the simple knowledge of someone or letting them know about you. It's choosing to care. And to care in such a measure. As Jesus said, he says, Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. And that's exactly what Jesus did. I don't know, Carrie, now you're starting to mess a little bit. I don't mind having some friends. I don't mind getting together in a a life group. That's what you want us to do as a church community. But this whole thing about loving somebody and being willing to lay our life down for them, wow, that's that's a step. It is a step. But isn't it a step that Jesus did and He showed us how? And that Jesus also then encouraged us to be able to do with other people so that we might know Him more and that we might get others to know Him more because of that example. Love is a powerful thing. Remember the first time you chose to love someone? Fell in love? Do you remember the first time that someone chose to love you? Oh, man. Even when they found out your ugly side, that's pretty cool. Because it's empowerment. It's empowerment to be you. Yeah, and it's also motivational to change in the ways that you need to change. Love is a dynamic that has to be operating for authentic community to be a biblical community. That's why Jesus exhorted them that way to love and to be loved. A third is to serve and to be served. To serve and to be served. Do You remember what Jesus did right before he ended up going to the cross? Well, he had his, uh, the last supper, right? That's right. He had, had the Passover supper together. But before they ate the Passover supper, what did he do? He called in all the servants and he said, all right, now everybody take somebody here and wash their feet. Is that what Jesus did? Wash the feet. What's that? Well, they had sandals. They were dusty, dirty roads. And so you'd have dirty feet. You'd come in and to be in a hospitable environment. It'd be nice to have your feet refreshed and cleaned. And and Jesus called in all the servants to do that for each of the disciples. Is that what he did? No. Jesus went and grabbed the towel and he washed the disciples' feet. And then he says in John 13, 14, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example so that you should do as I have done for you. Oh, really? Yeah. Authentic community that reflects the life of Jesus Christ is a community... Where you serve others and you're willing to be served by them. Now, maybe that's something very simple. Maybe that's something of somebody preparing a meal for you. Maybe it's somebody that's going uh, to take a step and and help take care of the kids, or maybe it's later in life and 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 you know be able to step in and build a friendship with with uh, uh, your, your your aging parent or something. Jesus was looking for disciples to serve and be willing to be served. Because when you do that, there's something mutual in it. There's something uh, humbling in it that builds richness and trust. I remember in India one time, I was with a group of people and we went into uh, a far out, unreached area. People that probably never even heard the name of Jesus Christ proclaimed, And we did a foot washing ceremony. And for an American person to come into a village and kneel down and wash the feet of an elderly woman, or an aged man it was like, "Why are they doing this? Why are they doing this?" People who, who would have bands around uh, their wrist. Uh, that symbolized as some of the, the, the more animistic uh, kind of religious or Hindu kind of religious systems that they were a part of. And uh, actually, when some of these people would come to know Christ, they would cut those red bands off of them, I remember. But we were there doing a foot-washing ceremony. And and yeah, though I maybe had practiced that as a youth pastor or something before, that was, that was another step. And Jesus, can you comprehend God Himself come in the flesh, the Messiah kneeling down, And serving, you want to make just regular friendships something deeper. You serve at a level that humbles yourself, and give your life away to them. And as they then choose to give their life away to you, it builds a bond. It builds a bond. I grew up on a large grain farm, and we served together. My father and my brothers, and yeah, sometimes there were some hired hands, but uh, we served together. And there's something beyond just the blood relationship things that just being able to serve together and do life together. And when Jesus called out His disciples, He said, hey, come follow Me. And He would walk with them and He would talk with them. He'd send them out to preach and to heal people. And and He would uh, demonstrate giving to people and encouragement to people. And He would serve them. And He would serve them in a humble kind of way. And they would all join in together. And they became this microcosm of beauty represented as heaven coming to earth where this community this rich authentic community was actually displaying the very heart of god and who he is god is not some big distant bully landlord that's not interested in your life he's a caring loving knowing god who's willing to serve and to serve purposes that he's placed within you and his community that he calls into existence is one To know and to be known. To love and to be loved. To serve and to be served. And then the fourth I just want to highlight is this. To celebrate and be celebrated. Nothing greater than a team win. Locker room afterwards, coming off the high fives from the field or something. It's like, yeah, we did it. We made it happen. And so also in life, there's so many different things we get to do. We get to... to to accomplish means, whether in our workplace or maybe in academics, something, and how sad it is if you're not able to share that win with someone else. Hey, Mom, Dad, I got my report card. Here's what I got. A report. Oh, that's so great. Or, man, you did a great job scoring that soccer goal and, and going to the next level. It's so exciting to see that happen. Or, man, I'm really proud of how I saw you step out and encourage that other person and for the friendships that you're choosing to build. We celebrate one with another uh, in our families a lot of times. But do we celebrate with others that are around us in a Christian community? And the disciples, they celebrated. Some of the pictures I see of the disciples aren't the pictures of them sitting behind desks desk in an open uh, pasture, listening to Jesus pontificate to them. I see them frolicking in the waterfalls. I see them laughing and enjoying life with another, celebrating some of the wins, giving each other a little bit of a hard time, like, Peter, you're always sticking your foot in your mouth. Jesus built a community that was fun and rich and they enjoyed life with one another. Celebrate and be celebrated. It says this in Romans twelve fifteen: rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. We're called to participate in the life of others and to be able to champion one another, especially in the high times when we've seen them cross some of the neat thresholds. So there's four dynamics, to know and be known, to love and be loved, to serve and to be served, to celebrate and be celebrated. Like I mentioned, I heard those early on in the church conference, and those have really hung with me as I evaluate if I am in a community, whether it's in a life group that I've chosen to be a part of, or maybe that I've started. I remember Terry Wordle said he would always be a part of two groups, one that he would participate in and one that he would lead. And why is that? Because he knew whatever he did in the classroom would probably go by the wayside and people would forget. But the relationships, one with another, and some of those I still have contact with through Facebook and see what they're doing in ministry, is like, well, those things carry on. And so we need to participate in some type of group life and whether that's a defined group life or we're really building relationships and bringing people together or maybe we go out and you know do some type of uh, mini vacation together i don't care how it actually comes about but we need to give out of ourselves and be careful about isolation that so easily happens with us so let me just give you a few verses that sort of sort of help paint some of the more colorful picture and things that we're supposed to be doing in our community with one another Hebrews 10 24 says this and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching now what's the day the day is referring to when Jesus Christ comes back but we are called to love and good deeds one with another and not give up meeting together. This is one of those verses some of us as believers have used during COVID where you know they're saying you can't meet in house and together. It's like, "Well, we're called to meet together. This is something we're supposed to be obedient to." And when we meet together, we're in this encouraging kind of environment As we wait for the Lord to return or we pass from this life to the next, we should spur one another on, challenge one another, as I'm trying to do today, to be in authentic community and not be a solo operator in life. The second verse here is Colossians 3.16, which is out of that chapter that I memorized when I was in that original life group, uh, covenant group. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, Through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Now some of you may say, hey, if I have to sing in a group, I'm not doing it. Well, this is just sort of the spirit of worship and the heart that's found in that community together. And there's teaching and admonishing that goes on. And we're admonishing one another from Scripture. Sometimes when we're in community, we need to have a friend of ours call us back because we've strayed too far in some directions and teach us. Hey, the Scriptures say that we're called to be doing this. I know, I just sort of chucked it. I sort of been lazy, just rusting back and not, you know. know, Hey, they're going to admonish us. Let's let's take a step. Let's make something happen with our life. You know, life's short. Let's take the initiative, right? Uh, You might say, I'm sorry, I'm going to step away from that friendship. Or you could say, you know, God's given me this community so that I have friends around me that speak into my life and challenge me to become. So teach and admonish one another. The admonish word comes back again in 1 Thessalonians 5.14 from the Apostle Paul. He says this, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. That's a great verse for every one of our life groups or any community that you're in. Because exactly what we need to do. We need to admonish, encourage, and need to help and be patient. And sometimes you have to be really patient with some people, right? It's like haven't I told them this before, or haven't we been around this subject matter again, you know? And you're like, no, I'm going to be patient with them. But whether it's challenging them in a direction they need to go biblically, or just lifting them up when they're down and broken, all right, or being patient with them, there's all kinds of group dynamics that are going to go on these relationships. Does it take work? You bet it takes work. And sometimes it takes emotional energy, and we come home, and we're tired. We just want some me time. can I just bunker away from myself? And you can. There's nothing wrong with me time and recuperating. In fact, we talked a few weeks ago, right, about Jesus in silent solitude. There was the abiding, but then he would do the abounding. Well, some of the abounding is to be involved in relational life with one another. So those are a few verses I want to mention. But I want to get more particular and give you a direct challenge with six things to do for you to build more authentic community. We're just going to go through these quickly. They're quick challenges. They tie into some things that I've already said. But these also need to be practiced, I believe, in any group life that we're a part of, as well as in our relationships with others. And the first is this. Be intentional. Go deeper through perceptive questions. You may have relationships that are hovering at this level. You may want them to go to deeper levels. One of the ways to go to deeper levels is to know and be known, and to do the know and be known, you got to be intentional sometimes with asking the questions. How are things with your soul? Oh, my soul. Not how are things at work? No. How are things with your soul? Or just questions about them. Well, tell me, where did you come from? One of my common phrases is uh, you know, to to just encourage somebody to to tell me how their week has been, but To say, well, how did you feel in the midst of maybe some event that happened that week? Well, feeling is a little bit different than just telling you the knowledge. We had a friend in life who she was notorious whenever we were together in a group. She would always come up with some really good question. And we're like, what? What are you asking that question? Well, she was trying to take that little community time into a deeper level of experience relationally. And you'd go deeper through some perceptive questions, not probing, antagonistic questions, but just some reflective, thoughtful questions to get to know them on a deeper level. But you've got to be intentional. The second thing is to be hospitable. Invite people into the routines of your life. All of us are busy. We check that box every week. But in your regular routines of life, whether it's maybe you're going on a, a little shopping excursion and going to get something, or, or maybe you've... Uh, made a really nice dessert or something like that you can invite somebody to go along with you on a trip you can invite uh, somebody to come over to share uh, you know a dessert maybe you can take the initiative to uh just uh, you know your regular routines of life not see yourself in them but to put somebody else in them i remember uh, a young uh, young pastor who was a big powerful impact in my life, and he would invite me to go along on doing visitation of other students. And while we were driving in the car, I would pick up and learn more about him, and he'd learn more about me, and we'd sometimes pray together. But it was in the middle of his regular routine of life, and he was just being hospitable of opening his life up to me to be able for me to observe what's going on. A third is to be available. To preserve margin in your life for others' needs. All of us, as I said, are busy. But we need to protect some kinds of margin so that we're not too busy to help people who need to be lifted up or who need to be cared for in a time of need. Maybe you hear something that happened to them. Maybe it was something that was posted, or got through to you from another friend. Uh, maybe they called you up directly. Is your life lived in such a way that you can step out and be able to participate in their life? So you have to be available and look at ways that you can create margin so that your life is accessible to other people's needs. The fourth is to be teachable, and I like this one a lot. Assume a posture of humility and teachability. Sometimes it's intimidating getting to know other people because maybe you feel they're more knowledgeable in certain areas or whatever. But there's nobody watching this today, there's been a part of this church who knows everything in life. We don't. And so to be able to humble yourself and just ask somebody to teach you about something is a great way to build a stronger bond of trust and encouragement. In fact, sometimes I'll say to people, I'll just say, "Um, can you educate me? Educate me. I, I don't know, man. I don't know about that, right? You know, hey, you work on helicopters. You know, to educate me. How, how do you work on helicopters? You know, what, what goes wrong with them? Or maybe that you've been a part of a certain kind of ministry. Educate me. What do you run into? And so you find yourself needing to humble yourself and place yourself in an appropriate level to be teachable. Don't always be the one that's trying to pontificate and tell everybody else what they need to do or how much knowledge you have. Sometimes you just need to hide maybe that and even allow them to teach you some things maybe that you already think that you know. A fourth, a fifth, I mean, is to be forgiving. Pursue reconciliation and peace when hurt. Here's the challenge when you choose to be a part of an authentic community. You will be hurt. If you choose to love and to be loved, that person may choose to walk away or Maybe something comes up that causes a division in your relationship and you just say to yourself, forget this. This is not worth it. Life is too full and busy already. I don't need this. Well, you're going to have to choose in the moment when problems come or challenges happen or somebody sins or somebody, you know, uh, something just falls through and doesn't happen right to be forgiving. And it doesn't mean that you're going to get everybody to greet everything, but you're going to pursue reconciliation. You're going to pursue the reconciliation of the relationship. As scripture says, as far as it depends on you, live in harmony with one another. And we're called to do that. Matthew 18 talks about the thing of, of if you have conflict, go to a person and, and, and let them know, right? Don't do an end run and gossip to other people. Let God work in the midst of the situation. And Seek to just try to find peace in the midst of the hurt. So you're going to have to be forgiving in authentic community. And then finally, I just come back to this word that's, I don't know, I really do believe it's, it's one of the strongest uh, means to building authentic community, and that is be vulnerable. Share struggles of the heart and ask for prayer. You know why I know this one so much is that I've been a pastor in ministry for 35 years. And when you're a pastor, everybody thinks you got like your act together. Or that, you know, hey, you're preaching on this subject. But you hesitate because you don't want people maybe sometimes to truly know you or understand. And so you, you try to hold up this front. You're fearful that if you, you say or show certain parts of your heart or your life, that they'll reject you, they'll walk you away and go, well, who are you? I've really never found it that way, though, when I've taken the step. Sometimes when I just say, you know, I have a lot of anger going on right now. You do? Well, I know righteous anger. Jesus had that and that kind of thing. No. I, you know, can, can you help me with this or just pray for me in this situation? It frustrates me, but I'm mad. Really, Pastor? You're mad? Yeah. Oh, you're not perfect? No. That ends up endearing people to one another. And right now, I'm doing pretty good in that area, thanks. But the idea that we uh, have it all together causes people not to get close to us. But when we're vulnerable and transparent about our needs, and we actually ask for prayer sometimes, well, could you pray with me for this? Really? Yeah. I'm having a really... Tough challenge with my mother right now or my father or a situation maybe with a son or a daughter. Uh, Maybe it's something at work. Be vulnerable and transparent and let them in to your life. All of these, these six, be intentional, be hospitable, be available, be teachable, be forgiving, be vulnerable. These are all good practices within the bigger practice of authentic community. I challenge you to live a Christ-centered, others-oriented, authentic community kind of life. I'm going to challenge you as we step into the fall, even though we're trying to get things back on a Sunday morning and it's great to meet on-site at 9 and do live stream uh, 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 online at 10, I want to call our life groups back together. And... If you've never been a part of a group that meets on a weekly basis or other weekly basis, there's some women's Bible studies that are starting up uh, this coming Thursday. Uh, There's a morning study, an evening study, and those ladies I know build rich community together as they share life on life with one another. We have other life groups that have started to meet by Zoom call because of some social distancing needs and all that's understandable, that kind of thing. But other life groups are starting up and maybe even some new groups. I want us to have the opportunity to find a group and do life together and find a group that's right for you. And so I'm going to ask you to take an initiative. Our life groups seek to have community building, disciple making, and missional living. All three aspects a part of them. And I want you to just email me at connect at the and let me know your interest. If you're locally within the valley, that's great. Man, even if you're In some other state, I'd be willing to try to find some good church or group life for you to connect with. But we need to be doing life together, one with another. It forms us into the likeness of Christ. It helps us be on mission and become all things that He's called us to do. So group life, sign up, be a part. I know mine's starting next Tuesday uh, after we've taken a summer break, and I'm looking forward to it. That we can love, that we can know and be known, love and be loved Serve and be served and celebrate and be celebrated together because authentic community needs to be an uncommon practice that's a regular part of your life. God bless and have a great week. I hope to see you back online next week at 10 or on site at 9 a.m. God bless.